Hey, if you're just tuning in, this is part two of my conversation with congressional candidate Mike Itkiss. Just a heads up, we want to remind everyone that the thoughts and opinions of the guests on our show are their own. They also don't necessarily reflect the views of the organization which they represent either. This episode, like other ones, has been edited and condensed for brevity. There's some frank discussion about sex work in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Let's jump right into it. Let's change gears for a second. You're originally from uh, the former Soviet Union. Uh, you know, we brought right. this up earlier um, mm-hmm. in the area, which is now the Ukraine. Um, and you've deployed there as well, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. I've gone on two training missions uh, with civil affairs. Um, the teams I was on um, were uh, working with the Ukrainian uh, reserve officers. Uh, for the most part, I think there were a few active duty, but um, mostly it was uh, reserve officers that were getting ready to um, do their own deployments in the Eastern provinces back then. Um, so the, we were kind of a part of um, their mobilization process, and we got to talk to them about um, what we do in, uh, in civil affairs units in the United States. So wasn't necessarily directly applicable, but um, you know, it was kind of a good way to introduce the kinds of concerns that we dealt with um, and get them thinking maybe in a different way about the jobs that they were going to have to do. Um, and the reason that they were even doing civil affairs, it was something new. And actually, it was called CIMIC, uh, Civil and Military Cooperation, which is uh, kind of like the NATO version of civil affairs. So um, the reason they were doing that in um, 2015 was that um, turned out that they uh, had very bad relationships with the civilian population and their area of operations in Eastern Ukraine. So even though they didn't have um, a language or a cultural problem, they, um, they didn't do well in terms of treating their own civilians properly at that time, and they wanted to do much better. Um, So I think that was the motivation to have us there. um, And I think that's why that was the motivation from above. And the people who were going to do these jobs really did take it seriously because they understood how important that is. Got it. Got it. And as someone with roots in this part of the world, like the current war in Ukraine, like does this affect you personally? Um, so, um, I haven't stayed in touch with the folks that, um, we were in contact with once I left the civil affairs world. So, um, I can't, I don't really even know what happened to, uh, to the people that, um, that were training at the time. So, um, that's kind of unfortunate, but, you know, it means I don't really have direct knowledge of what happened to them and there are only a few people um i know in ukraine at this point and i don't necessarily communicate with them actually i don't communicate with them directly at all i just kind of hear from other people in terms of what happened to them so um i haven't really had a lot of personal stories to tell um it's more that i maybe have a different perspective on it than um, 
than many other people just you know from having been born there and having gone back and having having had that experience of speaking directly uh, to their military um, I think my perspective on it is uh, they were like terrible at identity politics they managed to divide the country for for no good reason and despite having free and fair elections um the country was so divided that it couldn't um solve its own internal political problems and that may be a lesson for us that you know, it's like yes it's great to have um free and fair elections and um, it's great to have freedom of speech so people can talk about it, but we also need to put more effort into solving the issues that divide us because uh, really bad things can happen if, uh, if things aren't addressed. That makes uh, sense. No, that makes sense. It's a great point. I want to actually come back to that point a little bit later in our conversation. Um, my next question was actually, um, um, you tout not being married, not having mm -hmm. kids, and not being celibate on your website. I think it's kind of like atypical of a politician to re reveal that about his or herself. Um, so I guess like, why aren't you married? I know you kind of touched upon that a little bit earlier about Manhattan being full of single people. You know, I'm, I'm assuming right. it's by choice, but it's an interesting point to bring up to like the, the voters. Right, and I think it's, uh, it was very jarring, um, you know, when people hear it first, because that's just typically not what politicians do. Um, and of, of course, you also left out atheist. Ah, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, all those things taken together, uh, yeah. So um, I think obviously I, I found myself in an atmosphere in New York City where it was okay for me to be single. Um, yes, I've had relationships over the years and um, I have to say I'm incredibly grateful to the women that I've dated. I've learned a great deal from them. And looking back, um, for the most part, I, I'm very glad I had those experiences, even if they didn't necessarily end well. Um, but at the same time, that's what I learned about myself, that um, I did not want to settle down, have a traditional family. It just wasn't right for me somehow. I couldn't really explain it until like maybe much later in life when I got, when I started reading things about maybe evolutionary psychology or just psychology in general, you start learning about things like the Coolidge effect, for example, and you're like, oh, okay, so I'm not the only one for whom monogamy doesn't really work. Um, and that's like one of those things that we really aren't supposed to be talking about in the society, but um, we are, as a society, we're, you know, we have about, you know, half of, adults are not married at this point. And I think a lot of it is just because marriage doesn't work for them for whatever reason. And in the military specifically, we're so centered around marriage that um, I think that creates um, a lot of problems. I mean, obviously I have a lot of friends who are married, have children, and um, I wish them nothing but the best, but uh, creating incentives and salary structures that um, effectively discriminate against people who are not married um, was uh, really one of the motivations 
for me to run and to talk about these issues, how we have all these legacy laws and ideas that um, people really are afraid to talk about. Everyone's like afraid to touch it. And when I speak about these things, um, some people just tell me I shouldn't even be speaking about it. And others are like, well, thank you for even bringing it up. No one else uh, has had the courage to do so. Did I answer the question? Oh, absolutely. I, hey, you touched on so many great like points there, and I'm glad you did. Um, first of all, like you, you said, the tax incentives for being married that no one, no one wants to talk about. I think that's a fantastic. Uh, I think that's a fantastic point that you brought up. Um, even the Coolidge effect. I wasn't even prepared to dive into anything like that. But also uh, connecting it to your experience with the military, and like from for me, I mean, I, I never thought I'd actually be like doing push-ups with a bunch of guys that were like 17 and, and engaged <laughs> you know like that, that the concept just seems so foreign to me you know like I think you know like I you know they all they often look at me like it was kind of strange that you know like I was you know in my 30s and un, unwed but you know I told them like in the place like uh, New York City um you know there's so many people that you see on a day-to-day -day basis you know if you even if you are deciding to like settle down and live a monogamous mono, monogamous relationship you know, like you're, you, you, you interact with so many people on a, on a day-to-day -day basis that it's, I think it's pretty normal for people to kind of have these moments where they start questioning, like, Hey, am I in the right relationship? You know, am, am I, am I even going to be good at monogamy? Am I, you know, especially when you're in your twenties, when you're, you're like the prime of your life, you know? So I think that's a, mm -hmm. a, I think it's a great point to actually bring up on a, on a podcast like this, like introducing these terminologies, because I think oftentimes they're ignored or we kind of like, you know, put it in a box and treat it like it's like a, like a dirty thing, you know, which we really shouldn't. Um, I think there's also a lot of uh, cultural cues there too. Cause I think, you know, mm -hmm. we're in a, we're in a city full of immigrants, you know, and, you know, there's also a lot of traditional values that come along with being an immigrant in this country. And, you know, like what they're not seeing is also that, you know, this idea that maybe those traditions or those values, while, you know, in, in some ways good, you know, they don't necessarily fit to like the construct or like the or change of construct um, that being a society like this one um, can offer. And by that, I mean, like, you know, like you may come from a household where settling down at, you know, in your in your 20s and having kids is a, is a pretty normal thing from the country that you're from. But like, when you have to like, adapt to like, you know, this, you know, bureaucratic society, you know, like those things change, settling down when you're older, may make more sense we're not settling down at all is like the best decision they can make you know right um, and also you have to remember there's such a huge diversity in um in the immigrant community right you can't really treat them all as being the same so not only are they from different cultures but um they had different reasons for coming here so some may have had very traditional reasons that were very family-centric and for others, it was like the exact opposite. They needed to get from, they needed to get away from that family control. So, uh, so I've met those kinds of people as well. Wow, wow, wow. So yeah, like I, I definitely think there's a, like, you know, a huge value to opening up the, the floor for those, those conversations. Um, mm -hmm. You also touted being sex positive, right? And an advocate for, yeah. for legal sex work. Do you think there's any sensitivities there? Um, I think the, the issue that I think of is that um, with sex work is that there's always that, that potential gateway towards like human trafficking. You know, you think that could be a huge right. issue related to it? 
So that's kind of like one of the problems that's how the military treats it. They don't see a difference between um, legitimate consensual sex work and, um, and trafficking. Um, and clearly, I, you know, that's a lie, right? And the reason I chose to make an adult video um, specifically according to the adult standards is to say it's like, hey, um, at least half the military by, you know, conservative estimates, probably much more, uh, watches adult videos. So if it's okay <laughs> for them to watch it, why is it not okay for them to make it? Um, and where does that, where, do, where is that line, you know, between um, adult videos and in-person sex work? And uh, to me, all those divisions were just, uh, um, they, they weren't real. Um, it was kind of, to me, it was like a, a distinction without a difference. Uh, so I think um, we need to start looking at all those things in a different light and treat it all as sex work and, and the stigma. And then that would allow for um, natural mechanisms to work that would then um, combat things like trafficking in persons. Because um, if people in the industry don't have to fear law enforcement, because of what they do, then they can be much freer in terms of reporting any kind of abuses. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, I, you know, I didn't even think about it that way, and I'm glad you did bring that up. You know, um, just you know, most of the <laughs> people in the military definitely consume that type of content. <laughs> um, it's like a, it's like mm -hmm. a, it's like a dirty joke that you know everyone has, but like it's like it's an honest thing. Um, and I know you caught a lot of flack and criticism for, for the video as well, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think I was talking to another, I was actually talking to a, someone that does a mill meme page about it. And we had, we actually had to hand it to you. Cause I mean, like you're a commissioned officer, you're a major and you're like doing stuff that I think like an E3 can only dream of, you know? Um, I think, honestly, I think <laughs> I've had people reach out to me, um, that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, who are very, very courageous, have spent, um, you know, most of their lives in the in the military, and have had very distinguished careers. And, you know, um, they said that they wish they had the courage to do that. Um, and that's kind of something that's um, that's been missing from a lot of coverage in terms of the risks that. I had to accept in terms of, you know, I don't know how it's going to affect my career, um, you know, military or civilian in the future. Um, so it's important to remember, it's like, it's not just um, about the military, although that's a, that's a good question of like, why is it even an issue in the military? But it's also an issue um, on the civilian side where um, a lot of people do and, you know, in our um, are fired or, you know, have some other personnel action taken against them for doing something that consenting adults should be able to do, uh, just because we have these outdated laws. And again, you know, going back to how central marriage is, um, I keep on saying that, um, 
if we keep on trying to protect marriage that way, then uh, we're really denying uh, we're denying people their ability to um, to explore their sexuality and to to do things to try to find things that make them happy uh, to do things that are really important to them. I, and I let me add, also add this, if I could. Um, there's been like a huge underestimation of how difficult it really was to make all of this happen. Um, and I keep telling people that, you know, if, if another guy tried to do what I did, which is go to Los Angeles and try to make an adult video in accordance with all the adult video standards with an established performer, they would most likely fail. So, because the industry simply isn't set up to do this. Right, um, right. So, um, so I think there was a great underestimation in terms of um, what it actually took to make this happen. Right, right, right. So I wanna switch gears again. Um, mm -hmm. So you mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you know, like you like to view yourself as somewhat of an independent thinker. Um, which I thought was a very interesting point. Um, I feel like oftentimes I don't meet many, at least not for like democratic candidates, right? Um, I don't meet many that would tout themselves as independent thinkers. The only other local politician that openly, openly invites independent thinkers that I can think of is a Republican con councilwoman, uh, Vicky Palladino. And I only say this because uh, not unlike yourself, I'm from Queens and I drive down Francis Lewis Boulevard every now and then. And the mm -hmm. word and here in seeing the word independent thinkers is definitely a slogan that they've they've used to kind of like draw more people in. Do you consider yourself an outlier in the democratic circles? Um, do you think there's like some legitimacy legitimacy um, when you hear phrases like like woke leftist mob? Like what? I'm sorry. Oh, do you think there's some legitimacy when you hear like? the phrase like woke leftist mob on Fox News or any of these uh, more conservative outlets? Um, I think there's definitely an issue with uh, freedom of speech on the left and the right. I think both sides don't value it as much. And um, I mean, clearly the things I've done are not welcome on the conservative side, especially on the religious conservative side where I shouldn't even be talking about these things. But um, very similar things are happening on the left where uh, people who dare go against the establishment um, are punished in many different ways. So um, when people send me um, ugly comments, um, I'm not actually sure where they're coming from, if they're coming from the left or they're coming from the right. And uh, the people who are sending positive, um, like encouragement, usually they'll tell the story about, you know, why they think that, you know, what I'm doing is right because, uh, like how it had impacted their lives. So, uh, I'm, I'm more encouraged by those stories than someone just simply cursing me out because I don't even know where they're coming from. Right, right. And by the way, let me say this about being an independent thinker. I'm not sure how independent a thinker I am. I like to think inside the box, so to say, or sort of, you know, if 
if I'm learning something new, I don't want to think outside the box. I want to know, you know, what people have tried that worked and what didn't work. Um, I think I come off as um, being outside the box is simply because I was an outsider really almost all my life. So, you know, coming to New York and being an immigrant, you're trying to just understand what's going on around you. Um, then, um, you know, when I was working, <coughs> excuse me, when I was working in the um, financial services industry, I wasn't doing finance, I was doing IT. So you kind of feel like an outsider there. Um, you know, going into the military at 40, you absolutely feel like, um, like there isn't anyone in a, in a similar position to you around you. So you kind of have to make friends with people who are um, in many ways different from you and you have to get along with them, which is actually a really good thing when you think about it. It's just that it's hard, right? You got to put a lot of effort into um, like creating and maintaining relationships with people who are different. And that maybe gives me a different perspective. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself an independent thinker. Um, that just kind of gave me a different way of looking at things. And um, when I looked at the political environment, I saw that no one was um, even trying to pursue the same objectives as I found important. And I thought, well, if I don't do this, if I don't run at some point, no one will. So it then became my responsibility to do so. Got it, got it. Those are some really encouraging words, uh, by the way, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't mean it that way. I just kind of wanted to... <laughs> try to express myself in some way, right. knowing that I'm not the best person to communicate. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I'm going to change gears again. Um, do you have any uh -huh. thoughts on why the recruiting numbers this year were so low? Um, honestly, no. I, I don't have any... I've worked with some recruiters people who were recruiters in the past, I've heard some of their stories, but that was from a while back. So um, I can't speak directly to what happened. Um, I can okay, speak we can, maybe we can... in generalities in terms of my own experience. So Got it. Got when it. I was coming in the military, um, the recruiters didn't really want to have anything to do with me because they didn't believe I was real. You know, <laughs> It's like, why would somebody who's 40 years old with a graduate degree who lives in Manhattan, you know, bother with this. It, it didn't make sense to them, so they didn't put any effort into it. Right. Um, I had to push pretty hard to be able to do what I did. Um, right. so, so I can't say that I had the best recruiting experience myself. And um, I know that the recruiters tend to uh, you know, they have, um, I want to say kind of like a type of person that they're looking to recruit. And I think they've been, um, I know they've been trying to do better in cities. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it also seemed to me like they're trying to find the type of people, 
or the type of a person who lives in the city that that's maybe similar to the person um, they've been uh, hoping to recruit in more rural areas. So um, I'm not sure that the military is really set up well for urban uh, for urban environments, right? And being in New York, you know, um, we don't have a lot of facilities um, for the reserve officers, right? So for me, working in cyber, um, you know, it's kind of a choice between going to Fort Dix or going to the Boston area, right? Or a lot of it is down in DC. So when the biggest city in the country um, doesn't offer you a lot of choices, I think that's a problem. And uh, the reserve centers that we do have in the city kind of assume, you know, somebody lives in a house and has a car and the places are very difficult to get to, especially like early in the morning. So um, for Totten. <laughs> uh, Totten, um, Hamilton and Wadsworth. I mean, yeah, they're beautiful locations, by the <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing absolutely. places once you get there. <laughs> they're just not easy to get to. Um, and um, I think the military needs to do a better job of um, of getting to the folks in the cities and offering them environments that don't make it a huge hassle, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we had a lot of people who'd be coming up from the DC area and it's always like a big hassle for them. And it's like, well, why are you making it difficult? Um, so, uh, so that would be my suggestion to uh, adjust more to city life um, instead of trying to um, find people in the cities that would somehow be a good fit for the existing military culture. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so next question. What do you want voters and the veteran community to know about you? Obviously, I would hope that they would, you know, read my uh, background in terms of education and qualifications. Um, I, I think that's the first thing, and, that, and that's kind of what's been missing um, in uh, in a lot of the reporting. It, it's been, um, you know, very short stories. Maybe they'll quote something from the website, but they tend not to go into details. Um, obviously, I would hope people would read about the platform and um, how a lot of this, uh, how a lot of the planks are interrelated. Um, one of the things that never really seemed to get into the um, conversation is um, that the video, creation of the video opened up my eyes to like how important cybersecurity is in that field. Uh, I never expected that to happen, but um, you know, trying to verify each other's identity, trying to store sensitive information, um, or um, simply storing the videos securely so that you know only the right people have access to them, um, and then the process of um, uploading them to Pornhub, making sure that, you know, it's the right, you know, the right um, people are uploading the ones who are in the video and that they're all 
of age. So all those are actually cybersecurity issues. And I never expected to see that. And that shocked me, just like how important cybersecurity is um, in our environment. Um, in terms of the veteran community in general, I want to say that I'm very proud of um, my uh, military service. Um, I, I absolutely value the, the opportunities I had and the opportunity to, um, to protect our national security because that's so important. Um, I see that, obvious, you know, I saw that in 9-11, all the wars we had and now seeing that in Ukraine, I think um, our national security is something that must be taken very seriously. And unfortunately, um, it's not talked about in a very sophisticated way politically. And I'll use Ukraine as an example because um, it's one of the planks that I talk about. Um, so when the war started in February, it was, you know, it was kind of unexpected um, and everything was an emergency. And it, it really made sense to just throw all the resources we could to help Ukraine uh, defend itself against uh, Putin. But we never really seemed to stop and have a debate internally in Congress about what our objectives in Ukraine are. And I think that's kind of what got us in trouble in Iraq and Afghanistan where we kind of had these very vague objectives and it wasn't sure, no one was really sure if they're feasible um, and no one was sure how to necessarily get there. So um, I would really wanna see a good debate about what our priorities should be in Ukraine um, take place in Congress. So I think that's the most important, regardless of whether or not my ideas on what the objectives should be um, are um, accepted. I think it's important just for us to have that sophisticated debate. Um, when it comes to my own ideas in terms of um, priorities of objectives, right now it seems like everyone's talking about territorial integrity and taking back all the territory controlled by Russia as the primary um, objective and really the only one. Um, I would not approach things that way. Um, to me, it's very important that Ukraine remain independent uh, with free and fair elections, um, a very egalitarian ethos, and a very healthy respect for human rights. Uh, so that's the primary thing. If um, Territorial integrity becomes feasible at some point, and I would like to see uh, the intelligence community provide uh, that assessment, whether or not it's even feasible to retake all that territory. And if it is, what the cost would be in terms of um, human lives, then as you know, people who are responsible, we need to take that into account. So to me, territorial integrity should be much lower on the list than um, the other things I mentioned, like uh, democracy, human rights, and equality. Uh, so if, if the first three are done, then I think the political objectives of the war 
uh, would probably be met even if the territorial part isn't met. On the other hand, if the territorial part is met, but those other issues or those other objectives are not, then politically we would have suffered a loss, I think. Mm. Um, because if Ukraine all of a sudden um, becomes dominated by one party, there's no free speech. And remember, like um, elections and free speech um, really can't happen in a country that's um, that's at war, where the enemy is on its own territory. So the longer uh, the war takes place, the longer we have to wait for all those good things to happen. Mm. Um, and that also needs to be taken into account. Got it. So got yeah, it. and let me be clear, I fully support uh, the effort to oppose Putin because he He's an authoritarian who stands against all those things I just mentioned I want for Ukraine. I clearly want all those things for Russia too, or for the Russian Federation, um, you know, where I want them to have um, elections and human rights and free speech. That just doesn't seem to be feasible right now, but somehow I think it is feasible in Ukraine. And, uh, that's my priority. Um, and I think we have not had good debates on that subject. Got it, got it. All right. And, you know, lastly, my last question is, what does resiliency mean to you? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's obviously being able to recover from, um, from bad outcomes in general. Um, it's a way of thinking. Uh, in some ways, or sometimes it's just, uh, you know, some people are better at it than others. Um, it's something that can be taught, but it's also um, maybe takes talent. Some people are um, just better at bouncing back from uh, bad situations. Um, and I know I'm grateful to a lot of people um, who reached out to me whether or not they agree with my positions, they just want to know if I'm okay. And they're like, we've seen all these horrible things written about you on the internet, and um, they think I will be upset about them. And I'm like, well, they don't really bother me. I just kind of think it's funny, if anything. Uh, because, um, like I said, if somebody insults you that you don't know and you don't even know what they're reasoning for, it's, it, it's not really going to bother me too much. It would be different if it's someone you do know and respect um, said, I disagree with you because then that, that becomes more meaningful. But um, maybe that's something that also came from military service where you're just so used to really nasty criticism that um, when things like that come up, it just doesn't seem to be so bad. After the conversation ended, I was deep in thought about what we had just discussed. This man has accomplished so much and continues to live up to the challenges presented to him each day. As much flack as he has received in Instagram comment sections, he is legitimately trying to open up a conversation about sex positivity in our society. In many ways, it stands in contrast to what you would expect from any uniformed service ever. Yet he manages to strike a balance. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for being part of the Echo Review. The Echo Review is produced by me, Jordan Weyer. It's a pen name. 
you want to learn more about Mike Itkis, check out his website, itkisforcongress.com. I-T-K-I-S-F-O-R-C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S.com. This episode was edited by Hensley Pettit. He's pretty awesome, and you can check him out on Instagram, hensley.sg, H-E-N-S-L-E-Y, period, S-G. He also makes incredible music. Make sure to check out the Echo Review on social media, at the Echo Review on Instagram and TikTok. Feel free to DM us as well, or shoot us an email, helloechoreview at gmail.com.